The Stages podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our artists and audiences meet. We pay our respect to past, present and emerging elders. We acknowledge the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives... Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Eyes and welcome to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. I was back in Perth in recent weeks and it was a huge delight to reconnect with Leith Taylor. Leith is an extraordinary theatre practitioner, having worked across a range of fields as an actor, director, producer, writer and drama educator. I first met her when I was a student at drama school. Leith is a passionate teacher of acting and I had the pleasure of being directed by her on two occasions. As an actor, Leith worked extensively over two decades in film, television and radio, as well as appearing in more than 60 theatre productions nationally and internationally. After being awarded a fellowship, she transitioned to directing and founded her own company, Theatre West with a focus on shows by or about women. Leith recently completed her doctoral research, a focus on the role of emotions in actor training programs, signalling the necessity for significant procedural changes in drama schools and in the profession. With such passion for her craft and empathetic investigation into the process of the actor, you can see why I valued her as a nurturing and insightful teacher. So, here's my joyous and enlightening catch-up with Leith Taylor. Leith Taylor, how lovely to catch up with you. And you too, Peter. It's been a long time since uh, the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, certainly for me, but um, you've probably been there more recently. Well, I come and go a bit, yes, and keep up with what they're doing, but with you and I there... Um, the grand old days, eh? <laughs> the grand old days. Um, and it was deli- a long time ago. And deli- well, it was 94 to 96. Is I that think. right? And delightfully, yeah. we, uh, we did two Australian musicals. Yes. Um, no. Manning Clark's History of Australia. I remember. Which we did in South Perth. We did, yes. Uh, and uh, um, Mary Bryant. Which oh, was, Mary Bryant, which of John course. John Wilson had commissioned Nick Enright and David King to write for the, for the graduate year. Yes, he did. And I remember going to Sydney for a workshop and then coming back and then working with them on it in Perth at uh, the WA Academy of Performing Arts uh, with yours truly, yes. It was um, a wonderful experience to work with those two at that level. Yeah, Mm. and I got to further that experience when it was done professionally at the Ensemble. Of course you did. I was part of that that cast again, which Crispin Taylor directed, who's now at WAPA, so... Yes, so you followed it through its journey from uh, beginning to end, yeah. From London to, from Australia back to London. Fantastic. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) But Leith, I think I first encountered you as a director when I first arrived in Perth with a production of Oleana, which was staged uh, for the Perth Festival. Yes, that's right. I think with John McTiernan and Mandy... Mandy McElhenney, yes. So that would have been about 1994. Um, quite a charged play uh, by David Mamet that dealt with sexual politics in a university uh, environment, yes. No, I was very drawn to it because um, at the time I'd established a theatre company of my own, Theatre West, and was interested in doing plays that um, 
had issues about for women especially, um, not entirely, but I was particularly interested in giving good roles to women, giving good um, women playwrights, um, airing. So I was always on the hunt for something that uh, was going to e expose that area. And so Oliana, yes, was I was very drawn to and uh, it was very powerful. People uh, were very, um, left the theatre quite <laughs> changed in some way or, uh, yes. Which is what you want theatre to do. Absolutely. I mean, there have been subsequent plays that have dealt with the issue, and now, of course, we're much more familiar with um, sexual harassment and the the blurred lines of what is and what isn't. And um, but back then, it was fairly new, and especially in that environment, and with two such good actors, yes, it um, it did very well, and I extended the season. I remember mm. a play that is so explosive and um, so fraught and emotionally charged text. How do you, as a director, ensure that you know your two actors are, are safe in that environment um, with the emotions that come up? Well, um, it's an area that I've gone on to research in great detail, in fact. So it's interesting that you bring it up in the context of this play. Uh, 25 years ago, is it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was probably not quite as aware as I am now of those issues. Uh, now almost every play has an intimacy director and etc which is fantastic um, at the time I think I had always studied psychology and had been very interested in that area and qualified in fact as a drama therapist through a master's early on so I was always very in tune with how people were feeling and um, how to guide that or how not to push boundaries um, I don't specifically remember that play, but certainly it's been an area of mine that I've always um, paid attention to. And um, because I subsequently went on to um, teach and direct at uh, West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, can we call it Whopper and everyone will know what we mean yep. from here on in, um, I became even more aware that uh, working with actors we are requiring them to tap into emotions and sometimes very deep and powerful emotions. And that is a very particular um, tool that we're using in our profession and that I wasn't, I didn't feel that it was safeguarded as much as it should have been. So um, I'm launching into talking about myself, self, self, but... <laughs> But I subsequently went on to do a PhD exactly in that area about um, how we, what we ask of actors emotionally, especially in the training of actors, and what kind of safeguards we have in place to deal with those emotions. Um, so I went into it in some detail in the major acting schools in Australia, WAPA and NIDA and VCA, couldn't quite get up to QUT, um, and yes, discovered a lot of very interesting areas that I think could be improved upon. Um, it's really only in the last five years, I guess, where um, schools, companies, uh, the acting fraternity have really been um, focused on ensuring that safety. Uh, you talked about um, an intimacy consultant uh, really is only a role that has appeared on film sets and, and in rehearsal rooms uh, as I say in the last five years someone pointed out to me recently that um, the, the need for for such a, a role um, is similar to the, the the stunt coordinator or the fight director you wouldn't give a couple of actors you know phony uh, prop knives and say go for it fellas well it's a it very good parallel to make yeah. isn't it yeah. because uh, we just assume in the past that if uh, actors were required to kiss or throw each other around or or you know be intimate with one another that that, that was part of their job whereas in fact um, I think we're much more aware now of the mental health of all of us including actors and especially actors in our field obviously because you teach drama and uh, I think it's a very good thing that's happened and um, I did my research, um, well, starting about 10 years ago. So in a small way, I feel like I did 
um, plant the seeds and lead the charge. And when I finished uh, my um, thesis and had numerous recommendations that I felt could improve that situation, I did go around and talk to the staff uh, at these um, elite drama schools in, in our country. And uh, they're all very, very receptive. Um, how much actually gets put into practice, as we know, is um, sometimes a bit hit and miss, but uh, certainly, in general, um, my recommendations were always received very positively. Um, one area in particular that I have a bit of a um, thing about is closure. You know, at the end of classes, rehearsals, performances, um, very often performers are left feeling very raw or emotionally um, stirred up for one reason or another and it's different for every actor and every role and I just feel simple closure rituals are so easy to put into practice and are very rarely done. We're very good at warming up, we're very good at getting on there and knowing we have to, you know, limber up our voices and our bodies but Cooling down and having closure rituals at the end of performances or um, even classes, as you would know from going to WAPA, sometimes people leave them very upset yeah. and have to race down the corridor to the next class. Yeah. And I just always felt that that wasn't necessary and uh, could be shifted quite easily if um, tutors allowed enough time to just have a... Um, a recap at the end of each class. Yes, um, uh, the occupation of actor is quite unique, isn't it? We're, we're put into certain predicaments and situations and environments which uh, no other person is required to do when you're you're living the lives of other people. So um, yeah, I think um, that that cool down or if it's a performance, de-rolling is mm. is essential. If you're playing a role like Hedda Gabler or any of the characters in. Uh, the Removalist by David Williamson, where those emotions are raw and tough and powerful, and you might be required to be, be hit or to die. Um, yeah, you've got to leave that at the theatre. You can't be living with that, can you? Not at all. And I think more work could easily be done about leaving your character, your situation in the theatre or in the rehearsal room and not taking it outside. I know very often, you know, good teachers will say that, but how you actually do it is something else. And of course there's a whole philosophy about divided consciousness, so part of you knows that's not you. And But the reality is, is uh, you know, I worked as an actor for 20 years and you have worked as an actor continually. You do put your personal emotions into playing uh, other people yeah. and uh, the cutoff is not so easily achieved of course I would like to think that the training of an actor involves being able to step back and de-roll but it's not an integral part yeah. of the training even now even though we're more conscious of this carryover this boundary blurring from character to real life can be very damaging, yeah. um, but it, it and it varies hugely from um, person to person. But uh, you know, I was always told, well, you can never fully immerse in the emotions because that way madness lies. But the reality is, sometimes you just don't have the skill to step back and still give the performance you want to give. And those kinds of issues are of great interest to me. I mean, I think. Um, Understanding human nature is is what we're here for. <laughs> understanding how different people work, understanding how why people behave a certain way in certain situations, even is enormously interesting to me, both in the theatre and in the psychology studies that I've done. And um, that they mesh is fascinating yeah. and has enabled me to kind of combine two of my greatest interests in my research work. So it's, um, yeah, it's endlessly interesting to me. Actors have uh, perhaps traditionally uh, cooled down or derobed, uh, derolled by going to the bar after the, after the show. They certainly have. It's the absolutely go-to uh, defusing of whatever. Uh, Talk about the performance at night, what worked, what went wrong. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because that is a debrief after yeah. all. But if you do it over too many 
beers at the bar, it's probably not a good thing. And um, to formalise it, I think, would be better and then go and have another debrief at the bar. Um, Well, what are some of the ways that that you could formalise? Well, um, ideally, if the cast could come together, but as we well know, the moment the moment of performance is over, it's to the stage door. But uh, ideally, if the cast could come together and debrief together, just talking about what what's happened or what's not happened. I mean, there's lots of small things. Um, um, individual rituals, I guess, where you uh, you know, are. there's that that the Asian tradition with masks, where the mask is taken off and they. Bow to it. Bow to it and yeah. put it away, yeah. Well, and just a simple thing like as you take your costume off and hang it on the rack, you are taking off the elements of your character. I mean, it's for in each individual can be a psychological thing about how they do that. I mean, it's been suggested to me that, you know, little ditties, little songs that um, are a key for certain people that they know that that's the end of that performance and that role playing and they're going into real life sometimes uh, carrying a token that when they play the character they have this token with them and they let it uh, go at this in uh, at their stage uh, at the stage door I mean there's lots of small things that can be like that I remember Dean Carey uh, from the Actors Centre always saying that he he always has a clap in to begin and a clap out to finish uh, and everybody knows what that signifies and yeah. that it's it's kind of taking time to psychologically just tell yourself this is the end of the and um, uh, the English uh, film director you know um, Mike ha- Lee or yes yeah. yes his is um, his is a phrase too like uh, going into character I mean literally just formalizing what's happening and then playing the scene as totally as one would hope going out of character i mean simple psychological things that just tell the actor this is it this is not you anymore you are going to put those emotions to bed mm. i'm sure a lot of universities have counseling services available for their students are, are acting schools getting better with that in having some sort of professional support of, of the students? Yes, my research showed that um, the universities do all have counselling services and they are obviously available to acting students and um, arts students. As, as you and I would know, they, are, they sometimes, um, counsellors don't really understand the uh, intricacies of an acting course. So if a stressed student comes in and says, oh, you know, I'm in this production and I'm, I'm stressed out of my mind, and they'll just say, well, pull out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they don't understand the sort of context. So um, NIDA has had a, a dedicated counsellor who, um, I mean, my research is just a few years old now, so it might have expanded or be different, but uh, he was a very um, clued, clued-in man whom I talked to on a several occasions and he would go in one day a week and he would be booked out every week of course because he was someone who understood the intricacies of what the course involved and the and the demands of it um, so obviously if every drama school could have a dedicated counsellor who was trained in understanding the demands of those particular courses that would be better because I think often um, I interviewed a lot of acting students, um, mostly graduates who had some perspective on looking back. And, you know, a couple of them would say, well, I went to the counsellor, but um, I didn't find it useful because she or he really didn't know uh, what, how it was for me. And I think that that is fairly common. Mm. So I think the more we can expand that area, the better. I also think teachers need a little more help in this area because... Um, I know that often in an acting class or a movement class or a voice class, it triggers things and it um, releases uh, uh, either traumas or upsets in people's lives and they break down. I mean, I've had it happen to me and I know it's happened to every every teacher that's ever worked in an acting school or and uh, we're not really they're not really trained uh, to deal with that, how to deal with that. 
And I think uh, it would be very good if um, the staff in those uh, in those elite schools could have even just basic foundation training of how to deal with people in distress because what they're asking of their students brings it up mm. naturally. And faculty members and guest directors, etc., all have different styles and personalities and um, express their demands in different ways. Um, some have big personalities, dominant, tough personalities. I'm thinking yes. of some of the, the lecturers I had um, yes. you know, 20 years ago. Uh, that can be very confronting to a student who's come in a young student who may be 19, 20, who hasn't had a great deal of experience with the world. Um, and that can certainly affect their learning as well. Of course it can. And, you know, as, an act, uh, as a director in that environment, I know you're dealing with people sometimes that have come straight from school. I know there was um, a time when they, they would not take um, students straight from school, but that seemed to change and they seemed to get younger and younger to graduates or mature students. So you're dealing with a range of emotional maturity, uh, which in itself is, can be quite tricky. Um, but certainly, um, I think that it is, a, it is a very confronting training course, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you yeah. are asked to expose yourself time and time again in all the different disciplines. And you're discovering so much about yourself as well. You are, and yeah. that's part of the wonderful process. Yeah. Wonderful, but at the same time, it can really shift your ground and to, to have some guidance during that. Um, I think if... If a counsellor was appointed, I think that staff members would have less, can I see you alone, can I see you after class, can I, you know, from students who are seeking one-on-one -on -one, uh, assistance and understandably, but uh, sometimes, of course, as a staff member, you just don't have time for every student individually, as you would know well. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, some drama schools uh, have incurred the reputation of, oh, you know, you go there and they break you down, you know, um, and then rebuild you, um, which is quite a severe way of, of pointing um, at those schools. But I think I know what they mean in that, you know, in active training, you really, the school is, is there to, to um, rid you of, of bad habits that you may have fallen into and then to uh, re-engage you with new ones. Well, that's a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't um, go along with the whole breaking down theory at all. Yeah. I think it's a learning experience and everyone uh, experiences it differently. Um, yes, that we learn about ourselves constantly in life and certainly in um, training for the arts, you're going to um, delve in at the deep end. Um, but it's going to be an individual thing and I don't think anyone should be um, feel that they're losing their old self or that they're uh, in despair that or distress. That should never be part of any positive learning experience as far as I'm concerned. So I think that's um, gone, gone, uh, that, that approach. I think that you, you bring to it the most positive, um, constructive way of explaining things to people, showing things, uh, how they can discover whatever it is they need to discover. And they will discover it on their own terms, yes. What did your training consist of as an actor? I went to a graduate school in, um, in London, London Drama Studio, where it was um, a graduate school. It was said to be for graduates who had already had quite a lot of experience. So it was a very um, uh, contained course. Uh, I think, looking back, it's a very long time ago now, Peter, <laughs> that the main thing I learned was um, really to work with others because we had Americans and South Americans and English and we had a whole, you know, and I'd never worked with people from different cultures before and different, and it was one production after another, so it was very intense. I don't think it was perfect by any means, and now I know a lot more, I, I, I would have wished it was other other ways too um, and in retrospect you know looking back at that time uh, uh, my eyes were headed for London because that's where I knew 
the London stage was, you know, that's where theatre, the heart of theatre was. Um, now, of course, I would have preferred to go to an Australian school and make all those connections and friends that um, are so instrumental when you work in the business. But um, look, I came back to Australia some years after living in Europe uh, and working. And suddenly Whitlam had been in and there was a whole renaissance of Australian plays. And I think in my first year back in Australia, I was in Alex Buzo's Coralie Lansdowne Says No. I went um, straight into uh, Barry Oakley's Bedfellows. And then I was in Williamson's um, Guess Who's Coming for Dinner. So, no, not Guess Who's Coming for Dinner. Um, Whose Life is it anyway, I think. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, David. <laughs> um, but like within an incredibly short time of coming back in Australia, I was in three Australian plays by three very fine playwrights. So it was a real revolution for me. And um, it, although I did go back and work in England subsequently from time to time, uh, my heart was well and truly grounded in Australia after that. Coming back after those several years in Europe, was it easy to find your Australianness again with those those three plays? I'm not sure of the answer to that. I know I know I Hani Nimi directed the first one, and I I think I may have even asked him if I needed to put on an Australian <laughs> accent, <laughs> which I blush about now. But yeah. I probably thought that I did have a. Uh, and not an Australian accent anymore. I wasn't sure. Uh, so it, it's an interesting question, and I, I think I just uh, merged into it. You know, I'd grown up here, so uh, it wasn't very far removed, and I used to put on Australian accents to amuse my English friends. You know, um, I mean, extreme, extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, no, I, I don't think so. I think it all just happened. But I, I do remember the very first one thinking, do I sound too English now? Yes. <laughs> did you grow up in West Australia? I did. I yeah. did. I grew up here. Um, I went to UWA and that's where the love, you know, I joined the University Dramatic Society, as so many of us in the profession did join uh, uni dramatic societies and our life's path seemed absolutely to take off after that I knew I desperately wanted to work in theatre um, so uh, when I'd finished um, at university I was headed to drama school but uh, I lived I have lived overseas quite a lot I lived that time in um, in England and Europe I, I lived in Greece for a while because my sister lived there and I went to visit and suddenly I was in an English language theatre company and I taught English on television and I dubbed endless films and I had a wonderful, wonderful time for quite a long time. But um, uh, later in life, I went to study in America. I did a master's in the area I mentioned earlier, drama therapy, which was the only place I could um, tap into it at that time. So I got the green card and all the, all the things one has to do to work there. Um, so I spent quite a lot of time in America. but. I think my heart was always in Australia and I got a telegram once to come back and um, uh, be in a, a Stoppard play, The Real Thing, with um, Dennis Waterman, Rula Lenzker and I was going to rehearse in England and then come back to Australia to play as well and that seemed like a gift from heaven at the time and um, once I was back in Australia in that production, I think I just it just seemed so easy and so home and family and friends and life just, um, yes, some, sometimes just a job can take you somewhere else and open up your eyes. I did go back a couple of times to keep up the green card, but it was pretty hard to do that too, yeah. and I wasn't so committed to being there. Mm. Uh, Perth had quite a, a vibrant theatre scene at that time as well, didn't it, with, with companies like The Hole in the Wall and the, the State Theatre Company? And it did, Peter, it did. And I have to say, I was very fortunate in that I was almost never out of work for many years. Um, I worked, uh, yes, The Hole in the Wall had a very good reputation and the National Theatre at the Playhouse, and I went from one to the other for many years. Um, eventually, I wanted a bit more control over what plays were done, and um, so I transitioned into directing and where I could 
choose the play, choose the vision for it, choose the actors, and I, I really liked that. <laughs> so as I said, I established a, a small company, Theatre West, and I um, did many productions with, with Theatre West, and some of them toured uh, to Sydney and Melbourne, and so it was a wonderful time. We know that a lot of um, theatre makers in Perth at the time, uh, Rayel Madai and Edgar Metcalf and John Milson and Annie Mimi, were there any women that were, were directing and, and leading companies at the time? No, there were not. I worked for all of those directors that yeah. you mentioned. They all were wonderful in their own way and um, contributed greatly to my growth, but uh, there were no women role models. Um, there was Robin Nevin in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I pres- yeah, I presume she was at Sydney Theatre Company then, or may, have, may have been She's, later. She was at QTC first, and then. Ah, uh, yes, yes. No, there was no one locally, um, and you know sometimes I really had to stand up for myself. Uh, I went into um, co-productions with other companies to help ease the uh, producing side of things. Uh, and again, you know, uh, they were probably respectful, but I always felt like I had to. I had to look out for my interests um, and I think that Oleana production you mentioned I took I extended that season by myself because the um, the Perth Theatre Company who were in collaboration with me didn't want to so um, there were always decisions to be made that uh, yes I felt like I, I was a bit uh, out of my own for a while but people were very helpful also there was also a lot of support and other women loved working you know with I did a, a wonderful play Blood Moon by Tess Lisiotis and um, that had four women in it four very strong women that worked here Vivian Garrett and Peter Tavano and Rosie Lenzo and wonderful um, Helen Nimi yes yeah, so um, so I you know I had some wonderful experiences during that time with that small theatre company but it was hard work, uh, as you can imagine, having your own theatre company and doing everything. Yes, yeah, being the creative and the administrator. That's right, you know, applying for grants and then um, making them work. And uh, I think I burned out eventually. And uh, <laughs> But uh, no, it was great. I mean, I went on to, to direct a lot at, at uh, Whopper. And uh, down the track a bit, I was asked to go to La Salle College of the Arts in Singapore to set up. They wanted an international acting school there. They were tired of their students going off everywhere else to train and they wanted one uh, founded in Singapore. So that was a real challenge, which uh, I hope I met. (laughs) Yes, but a huge privilege as well to be able to reflect on your own experiences and and what works, what doesn't work. It's true. I mean, I remember arriving and they said, well, you know, the curriculum has to be written up by next week or something. (laughs) It was like, whoa, dropped in at the deep end. So um, it was very hard work and there's sort of a different work ethic in some ways in other countries. And um, I had to adjust around that. So, but it was indeed. And I did, it took a while, but I did attract students from... um, other countries. People came from Sweden and the Philippines and Australia and yeah, so it was um, very worthwhile. What, what do you think a good uh, actor training course should include? Oh, that's a subject for... Uh... <laughs> what are the must-haves? Um, gee, well obviously um, you know you need a cross-section of the disciplines and as you know the basics are acting, movement, voice, um, improvisation, um, and and some kind of balance about how much you involve in productions. I know students just live for productions, but actually you really need to lay the groundwork for them to acquire the tools in order for them to take into production. So you Which is what first year really is, isn't it? It should be. Yeah. It, first year should be acquiring those tools in all those disciplines. And... Um, it can be very tricky. I mean, some people come in with uh, voices that are not, you know, um, yeah, that need a lot of work and uh, the movement teachers will tell you there's yeah, <laughs> some doozies in their classes. All of those areas you want, you want to make progress before you progress to productions. But um, I, I would just say that 
if you can cater for those areas with really good teachers and a groundwork and can resist rushing people into rehearsals and um, productions, you were doing well. I mean, auditions are another thing that I explored at, at depth uh, in my um, research because I'd always felt um, that, it, it, as we know, thousands of people audition yeah. every year for the major drama schools in this country and other countries, and the majority of them do not get in. And uh, I just felt there was a more humane way to go about that. Um, I'm not saying there's a perfect way, because it's always going to be a, a stressful situation, but um, just spending a bit more time explaining perhaps how they could improve, which I did try to do in, in the time that I was auditioning for WAPA. Um, it's always a rush and you've always got too many students in a day, but you know, just to spend that little bit of extra time and also how you, uh, how you turn people down. <laughs> you know, I heard a range of stories and experiences and some people never forget and never get over it. Yeah. And that shouldn't be like that, you know. One small audition shouldn't go so deep into people's psyche that they are still tearing up about it 20 years later. And that happened in my research interviews. It's yeah. extraordinary. It's, it, I mean, it's really just a job application, isn't it? However, um, because uh, the, the funnel that we express ourselves is, is, is our humanity, our, our voice, our body, etc., mm. I think, yes, we take it much more personally because it's just so indelibly imprinted on our psyche. Well, you are presenting yourself. You're not presenting a CV. Yes, yes, yes. Um, this is me. This is what I've got to offer. So, of course, it's understandable that people feel personally rejected but uh, I think there has to be well there are better ways to do it yeah, um, it's yeah. never going to be wonderful but you know I heard about people saying oh well uh, they said they'll call me if I get a call back which means they were waiting by the phone yeah. for days and days hoping that it still might come well that's that's not appropriate yes, that's yes. not kind at all right. um, and I think that uh, the people that audition, they know and they try and uh, I think it's got better. But there are some horror stories still about people who auditioned in the past. And as we know, there's plenty of people who auditioned who didn't get in who made a fantastic career in their lives. So it's not always the, um, the must-have, but they think it is at the time. A bugbear of mine is that I believe that style should be taught in an acting course, you know, an appreciation of, of comedy and manners or restoration or, or, or whatever. Um, I remember seeing a, a production of Cyrano de Bergerac at the STC several years ago, and that company of actors were pre presenting about five different plays, you know, uh, different, right. st different styles. Yes. There was no overall appreciation of style. But then I think, well, is it worth teaching style now? Because, you know, the new... Uh, repertoire of plays that are being written uh, are all very contemporary and, and edgy. There's no need for style anymore, that, that unless you're doing, you know. But then you go and see an old coward or something, and they're doing it in contemporary dress. And yes, it's a, it's an interesting conversation, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Because, um, yeah. I think that some acting courses do, uh, you know, restoration, or you know, they do go through the different. Um, periods and um, touch on it. I don't know how thoroughly they do it, but style is is part of the curriculum. Um, but as you say, but I still think it's necessary to learn what you're not going to use, even yeah, if yeah. you know. I, yeah. I, I agree with you, and um, certainly it probably wasn't in music theatre that you did, but in in the acting course, I think there was always uh, there always is um, an element of style. I don't know. How experienced acting teachers are of uh, for te to teach it, aren't they? Well, that's right. That's Hopefully, right. get yeah. get other experts in because it's a a, a, a very special area that uh, uh, you know. Uh, You've been cast in a pinter. You've got to understand how that play works. Indeed, indeed, my favourite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I agree, and I did. Uh, look, I did teach script analysis for a very long time, um, but there's no perfect way to cover all those aspects, I guess, in a in a 
in a three-year course. For, uh, yes, uh, these courses could go on for five, six, seven years, couldn't they? There's they so could. much to be learned. There is so much to learn, and you keep learning, and you learn from different people in different ways. I mean, even um, for the teachers to be trained, I, I mean, there's no real course that can teach you to teach at that very high level in those elite schools. I mean, I learned from doing it myself, to be honest, and I did have a Diploma of Education, but that was neither here nor there in terms of how you pass on what you know yeah. in a constructive way. Um, yeah. And I think at that time, most of the lecturers were uh, professionals who worked in the business and, of course, the... Um, the administration liked that to say, well, you know, you've got a teacher who's who's done all these things, but, but doesn't actually one... teach you to teach. No, no, it's one thing being a practitioner of and course. being excellent at what you do, whether it be directing or acting or, or whatever, but actually imparting that knowledge, teaching is a whole other uh, set of skills. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. It's not the same thing at all, and uh, but there really is not a well. There's, I mean. Um, High school teachers have a have a training. They yeah. can specialise in drama, uh, but to, in a way, those elite drama schools are a step above that, of yeah. course. And um, uh, you you meet a variety of of. I mean, I think in the voice and movement areas, there is specialties that they have trained at, and that's a different thing. Yeah. Mm. You talk about Pinter as being one of your favourites. Mm. Who are the other playwrights who are really good for actors to get their teeth into? Or Chekhov, obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I've both been in and directed, and I still am in wonder about how to play it, you know. Um, I played Ranyevskaya many years ago, and um, I look back and think, oh, I'm not sure I knew what I was doing. <laughs> of course, you always look back and think, oh, I could do it so much better now. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, Pinter's Bedfellow has always remained a great... Uh, love of mine um uh, betrayal betrayal sorry it was similar to oakley's bedfellows betrayal i i love that play and still go and see any production of it but um i i liked i like deep and meaningful pete yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was never one for farce or comedy much uh personally um I like anything that explores human nature where you can get your teeth into what is this person about and why did they make that choice and um, what if they'd made it. Yeah, I, I like things that are um, quiet and intimate, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the beautiful thing about acting, too, is there's not one way to play a character. No. Ten different actors will bring ten different approaches, won't they? And Which create is so ten exciting. And as a director, as you would know, that's it's sometimes a good lesson to just let someone have their own approach, even though it's not what you saw or would do. You think, oh, let's just go with this and see what that offers. Yes, it's quite hard sometimes when, as an actor, you would say it quite differently. Yeah. Yes. Um, through your career, did you read reviews? Oh, yes, you can't help it, but can you? And... Um, it requires a certain approach to them also. You can't place too much no. uh, credit in them, whether they're positive or negative. Mm. Um, no, that's absolutely right. And, you know, you read about actors who say, I never read reviews. Well, I mean, it's not like we're in Hollywood where they have thousands of reviews, you know. We only have very few. So you're interested to read. Um, I don't think I ever shied away from them, but uh, I think... Um, uh, oh, one reviewer of something I directed said, you know, the actor's American accent wasn't very good and he was actually American, which annoyed me. So I think that's the only time I rang up and told him that he was actually an American <laughs> actor. <laughs> but uh, yes, you try not to take too much notice. And of course, being human, you always remember the, the, little, the little negative uh, comments more than the glowing positive ones. That's, that's human nature. Mm. But ultimately, I guess we know from our mates or other professionals whose opinion we trust and um, take that on board should we wish to pursue it. I'd like to think that you know that you know when you've done something that you feel proud of more than uh, you know when you've worked at something and when you've 
um, got to a stage where you think, well, um, I feel like this is as good as I can get this role. I mean, you sort of know yourself. Uh, or if there's something trivial, um, yes, I, I think it's an, it's an inner voice that tells you uh, and hopefully you get more discriminative as you get older. I mean, when you're younger, you probably think you're fantastic all the time. I don't remember. <laughs> and indestructible. Yes, able of course Able to take on do. anything. Yeah. Of course you do. And you're more able to roll with the punches, I guess, a bit more too. Um, as you get older, you're more aware of what, what your skill set is, I guess. Did, did you have offers of roles where you thought, no, no, that's just not me, I can't do that either? Uh, look, I I always had a certain maturity which meant I was always cast a bit older than I was. You know, I never played little teenagers or, you know. Um, and so sometimes uh, I know what I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable with roles that had authority. I felt comfortable with roles where they... Um, just mature, I guess, or, uh, uh, but it was, I remember one role I played, um, Simon Gray play, I think, and, and they made fun of her because she was early feminism and they were making fun of her. I mean, she did in the end come out on top, but I, I remember it was quite hard to get into that, uh, to sort of feel uh, a certain... Um, judgment or something uh, as a character um, but like I just mentioned Rania Skaya I don't think I was really mature enough as an actor to play such an extraordinary role looking back um, but you have a go don't you if you're not going to turn down a wonderful opportunity like that so um, uh, but yes there were certain roles that I took to much more um, the misanthrope Sell a man in the misanthrope. I remember I worked and worked and worked at that. It was a time in my life when I wanted to throw myself into my work and I felt proud of that um, role. Um, it may not have been in retrospect, but uh, yes, yeah, so occasionally when you really uh, know that you've worked hard and you've got it as good as you can get, that, that's a satisfying feeling. That's very rare as an actor, though, isn't it, to come off and think, yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a 10 out of 10 tonight. Well, I don't know that I actually <laughs> thought that, but I remember thinking I have worked hard yeah, yeah. at this. Oh, I'm just talking for, just for the, the, um, all yeah. actors, I think it's... Uh, it's yes, I mean, we, usually we, we find better. fault, yeah, and, yeah. and I'm sure that there was progress to be made. Uh, it was just one that I remember that I... Yeah, and... Um, oh yes, Gwendolyn in Importance of Being Earnest. I mean, I love, I love that. Oh, there's lots of roles that I've thoroughly enjoyed um, playing and expanded. And mm. can you recall the very first uh, performance that you saw as a as a child, where you thought, "Wow, that's that's a world I want to be part of." Um, I'm not really sure that I uh, that I can. Um, the other day, um, I went out to see the pyjama game at WAPA and I remembered that I'd been seen to take it as a, to see it as a child and thought it was just all so wonderful and even remembered some of the performers in it. And so um, I do, you know, they, my parents would just take me occasionally. They took me to the ballet, which I remember. Uh, they took me to see Victor Borger. <laughs> Very eclectic. <laughs> but I can't... I, I look, I mean, it's, it shows my age that I went to what was then called elocution lessons. And uh, that gave me a love of words, you know, as a child. I loved hearing the sounds and knowing the power of words. I couldn't articulate that at the time, but I, it's definitely in, was a foundation of loving how words sounded and being corrected about how they should be pronounced and that led at school to you know playing the leads in the in the few productions we had and and on to university so I mean uh, those seeds start very early and I certainly always felt from very early on so probably at university that theatre was it there was I was going to give it all I had to see if I had a career in theatre. Um, somehow, and a lot of people I know that work in theatre have that absolute drawing to this path. 
from wherever that comes from. And I remember when I lived in Greece, I used to go out by myself and explore the, um, the ancient Greek theatres and find the ruins and just wander around them. And they just held an enormous attraction to, uh, for me. Mm. So there's just something very deep and ingrained there, I think, when you really want to travel this path. Because as we know, it's, um, it's not the easiest one and people often don't believe you're going to follow it for a long time. Um, do you therefore hold on to the superstitions of theatre? Whistling in the dressing room? And oh, I go along with them. <laughs> <laughs> I go along with them more for other people than myself, probably. I'm not overly superstitious person, but I do believe... I do have a sense that um, we, we come into the world with a bit of a past uh, history and that may dictate what we then do in this lifetime. Yeah. There's a sense of that for sure. And um, I remember being told once that I'd, you know, performed in Greek theatre in past times. Who knows if it's true, but I don't disbelieve it. Mm. Do you have a ritual then, um, as an actor or director, when you go into the theatre at night? Uh, I, I have a inner psychological shift, yeah. yes. Um, that this is what I'm focused on and this is what I've come in to do and it doesn't mean that I'm antisocial but I know that I internally I have a quite a strong focus on on what I'm there for. As a director I'm probably um, I get more nervous as people <coughs> as people say and you probably feel with your students yeah. you get more nervous because Absolutely. you're out of control yeah. and you can't yeah. Yeah. and uh, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist too, and that doesn't help because I want things to be as we've rehearsed it and get upset when they're not. <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I don't have a ritualistic, I will do this and that, but I certainly know the psychological shift and, um, and stay with it. Mm. What's your favourite part of the theatre? Um, what do you... We're sitting up front in the wings, the dressing room, the stage oh, door. Oh, oh, I see. Um, oh, I don't know that I... You just love it all. I have a... I remember once um, when I was directing something in a lovely big theatre and uh, working with a lighting designer, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this has really happened. I really... My life has been in this environment, in this auditorium which represents what I always wanted. And... Uh, it's. I remember that moment that it struck me as amazing that here I was and it was home and I felt totally comfortable in it. So, yes. Brilliant. Leith Taylor, thank you. It's been absolutely wonderful to talk theatre with uh, an old teacher, an old director, an old friend. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, what a joy. And um, should we do a clap out? <laughs> yes, good idea. <laughs> Let's do it. Thanks, Leith. Thank you very much. I know you found that chat as fascinating as we obviously did. Leith's research offered much foresight and attended to a vital component in the training of performing artists around the country. Thank you, Leith, for this study and for your hospitality and generosity in producing this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages. <laughs>